and rolling, Bob. Well, hello out there. This is Chris Gregory speaking to you. And uh, this is my podcast, which is Bob Dylan, A Head Full of Ideas, Season 2. Is it rolling, Bob? Is it rolling, Bob? And um, today I'm going to talk about one of Dylan's most famous songs, which is full of lines which we use in all kinds of other contexts, in almost a kind of Shakespearean way. Um, And this is um, Subterranean Homesick Blues. So this piece is called Subterranean Homesick Blues, Gig Yourself. Subterranean Homesick Blues, 1965, is Bob Dylan's coolest, most laconic creation. Perhaps no other example of his work expresses so much in so few words. Dylan is most well known for long songs full of complex wordplay, but here he demonstrates most eloquently that he is very capable of stripping down his use of language. The brilliantly compressed lyrics are highly suggestive and can be interpreted in any number of ways. Every word counts. The song is infused with Dylan's characteristically sly and ambiguous humour. One of the key distinguishing marks of his work is the way in which his distinctive turns of phrase have passed into common usage. In no other song is this more true than Subterranean Homesick Blues. You don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Twenty years of schooling and they put you on a day shift and the pump don't work because the vandals took the handles. They've acquired deep resonance over the years, capturing the essence of the anti-establishment attitudes of the mid-1960s with Dylan's uniquely pithy barbed wit. Whereas Maggie's Farm lambasts conventional worldviews by means of the creation of larger-than-life symbolic characters, Subterranean Homesick Blues achieves the same effect by presenting a series of sly, knowing aphorisms. It appears to be speaking in its own code to an audience which shares its values. There is no moral lesson to be drawn here, just a series of wry observations on the limitations of modern life as well as its chaotic nature. What it conveys most eloquently overall is a certain streetwise attitude. The song has been called the first rap. It certainly kicks ass as Dylan crams in the syllables breathlessly. In terms of composition, execution and use of language, it's a giant step away from the story songs and protest songs that made Dylan's name. Despite the identification of this recording with his going electric, it is not his first attempt at a rock song. Towards the end of 1962, he recorded the single Mixed Up Confusion with an electric guitarist, bassist and drummer. But the track had little substance and the single soon vanished into obscurity. As is revealed on disc one of the extremely comprehensive bootleg series release The Cutting Edge 1965-66, Dylan initially cut an acoustic version of Subterranean Homesick Blues. Although this recording has the same basic rhythm as the final take, it's clearly crying out for full band backing. Once the musicians, John Hammond Jr. and Bruce Langhorne on guitars, Frank Owens on piano, John Sebastian on bass and Bobby Gregg on drums are added, Dylan nails the definitive version in two more takes. There is no question that this is rock and roll. The basic musical and lyrical structure is borrowed from Chuck Berry's Too Much Monkey Business, a similarly tongue-in-cheek catalogue of the narrator's woes in which he laments having to do a menial job for a living. 
Working in the Philly station, too many tasks. Wipe the windows, check the tyres, check the oil, dollar gas, sings Chuck. He complains about a woman who is trying to tie him down. Blonde-haired, good-looking, trying to get me hooked, wanting me to marry, get a home, settle down, write a book. The narrator also refers to fighting in World War Two. Been to Yokohama, been fighting in the war, army bunk, army chow, army clothes, army car. Ah. Barry's song, which was covered by Elvis Presley, the Beatles and many others, is notable for its lyrical precision, its wry humour, its anti-establishment attitude and its offhand use of short phrases, which build up to create a cumulative effect. It expresses similar frustrations to that of the narrator of Eddie Cochran's Summertime Blues, which cheekily includes a politician dismissing the narrator's appeal for help in finding a job with the tersely cynical, like to help your son but you're too young to vote. By the mid-60s, as the burgeoning counterculture began to make its presence known, the concerns of listeners had changed considerably. Using Barry's song as a springboard, Dylan updates the reasons for the protagonist's complaints using short but extremely memorable phrases. Here, perhaps more effectively than in any other piece from his catalogue, Dylan delights us in the use of ironically humorous rhymes. The song begins, Johnny's in the basement, mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement, thinking about the government. With a nod and a wink, Dylan encapsulates the lifestyle of what were then still known as beatniks. The word hippies had yet to be invented. The first line clearly refers to some kind of drugs, although which kind is deliberately left unspecific. Meanwhile, the narrator clearly has some kind of radical politics on his mind. Johnny is the quintessential rock and roll name. Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good, probably the most covered song in rock history, tells the story of a boy named Johnny who can play the guitar like ringing a bell. It has often been seen as a thinly veiled exposition of the story of Elvis Presley and thus of the creation of rock and roll. Johnny is the archetypal cool kid. The opening lines are very carefully constructed. The use of conventional internal rhyme, basement, pavement, is contrasted against the medicine, government, which works as a rhythmic echo rather than a true rhyme. This adds much to the irony of the lines. Dylan's sheer audacity in rhyming the two words suggests a scenario in which everything is slightly skewed. The juxtaposition of the medicine and government is ironic in that our narrator is unlikely to be conducting any educated political analysis. The narrator sounds pretty frenetic and wired up as if he's ingested a fair amount of Johnny's medicine already. Thus, in just the first two lines, Dylan delivers the song's first in-joke, which in itself appears to imply that political protest in itself is probably futile. The narrator and Johnny are starting their revolution in their own heads. We are then presented with a series of four internal rhymes. Man in a trench coat, badge out, laid off, says he's got a bad calf, wants to get paid off. This short description suggests a rather shady drug dealer, or possibly a corrupt cop whose badge has been laid off. These pithy lines build up towards the recurving cry of, Look out, kid! which begins the first of five-line choruses that are alternated with the four-line verses. This gives the song a rather jerky and unsettling rhythm, which is highly appropriate for the subject matter. It is followed with the glorious, ambiguous, It's something you did, God knows when, but you're doing it again. Dylan appears to be addressing a kid who personifies youthful rebellion. The lines are a perfect summation of the feelings of a teenager who feels he is being bugged by adults. 
but the kid is somewhat naive. We are told that another dodgy character, the man in the coonskin cap, wants $11 bills. You only got 10 So the kid is advised to duck down an alleyway to escape from his wrath. A character called Maggie then appears, clearly not the woman from the farm, warning that the police may try planting drugs on them. We also hear that the phone's tapped anyway. Maggie says that Benny say they must bust in early May. Orders from the DA. What wonderful lines they are. Clearly this is a tough urban scenario. He is warned, don't carry no dose, presumably drugs, which is rhymed with, better stay away from those who carry around the fire hose. Another um, interesting rhyme there, isn't it? A reference to the US police's draconian use of fire hoses against civil rights protesters. The verse ends with more laconic warnings. Keep a clean nose, watch the plain clothes. You don't need a weatherman, know which way the wind blows. In other words, some things which cannot necessarily be stated directly are obvious to those who are in the know. This might be a motto for the whole song. The kid is thus told he needs to become streetwise or hip to the dangers of the bohemian lifestyle. But the final line also has deeper resonances. In many ways, it sums up the whole attitude of what became known as the alternative society. To those who were in the know, certain things of which those in the straight world were unaware were in fact so obvious that they were unstated. Subterranean Homesick Blues is perhaps the first mainstream rock song to utilise this secret hip language, which would soon become very widespread. The rest of the song consists entirely of advice to the kid, whose life is now described as a rather tedious round of duties. Get silk, get well, hang around the ink well, ring bell, hard to tell if anything is going to sell. Dylan delights in the way the insistent rhymes push the song forward in short staccato bursts. Using the world-weary comic disillusionment of Too Much Monkey Business as his starting point, he presents us with a barrage of mid-sixties hip argot. He delivers the increasingly manic lines in an offhand, monosyllabic, near-spoken drawl, which would later become model for singers like Lou Reed, not to mention many rappers. The normal life that the kid is trying to escape from is presented as consisting of endless tedium, a world in which one gets sick, gets better, gets a job, gets a mortgage, a funeral. Everything seems to be pointless and superficial. The reference to the inkwell may be a dry summary of the lack of inspiration provided by the education system, or it may just be playful nonsense. The song treads a thin line between social commentary and beat-style word association. Sense and nonsense are mangled together. Only in this way can the kid receive any advice that will be meaningful to him. The lines that follow introduce apparently random elements of alliteration as the singer wraps his tongue around try hard, get barred, get back, right braille, get jail, jump bail. It seems that whatever the kid does will result in failure and frustration. The cynical resignation of join the army if you fail, another echo of Barry's song whose narrator is in Yokohama fighting in the war, works as a sly dig at the way that the military recruits rootless young men as cannon fodder. The narrator warns the kid that he will also be used and exploited by those who, like him, live on the edge of the law. Losers, cheaters, six-time users. Dylan turns the colloquial expression three-time loser inside out here, suggesting connotations of drug abuse. We are told, rather hilariously, that these dubious characters are hanging round the theatres. 
At this point, the narrator may be beginning to turn the venom of the song on himself. Perhaps he himself is the kid, beset by all kinds of chances and weirdos who will try to bend his mind. And perhaps, in the deliriously silly lines that follow, he is warning himself about the dangers of women on the make who also wish to exploit him. Girl by the whirlpool looking for a new fool. The advice given to the kid is to always stay true to himself. Don't follow leaders, he is told. This is rhyme with the rather gloriously surreal watch the parking meters, as if the meters are somehow moving around, keeping an eye on him. This line is perhaps the most well-known in the song. We may speculate that Dylan is denying the role of leader of his generation, or he may be telling his followers to reject authority figures in general. Subterranean Homesick Blues is certainly a tack on the ideals of the American dream, an ideology which suggests that any person can make it to wealth and fame purely through hard work and application. One is reminded of Willie Loman's reaction in Arthur Miller's tragic deconstruction of the American dream, Death of a Salesman. When his wife points out that after years of struggle they have finally paid off their mortgage, Willie laments that now their children have grown up and moved out. Figure it out. Work a lifetime to pay off a house. You finally own it and there's nobody to live in it. In Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby, the protagonist Jay Gatsby pursues a different kind of dream. Although he is very rich, he is never satisfied with wealth alone and pours all his energy into a futile attempt to reconnect with Daisy, his lost love. I thought of Gatsby's wonder when he first picked out the green light at the end of Daisy's dock. He had come a long way to this blue lawn and his dream must have seemed so close that he could hardly fail to grasp it. He did not know that it was already behind him somewhere, back in that vast obscurity behind the city where the dark fields of the Republic rolled on under the night. That's uh, from The Great Gatsby. In Woody Guthrie's famous patriotic anthem, This Land is Your Land, the singer pursues an alternative version of the American dream, one that exults in the glories of the landscape of the country. As he roams and rambles, he extols the beauties of its landscape. When the sun came shining and I was strolling, and the wheat fields waving and the dust clouds rolling, as the fog was lifting, a voice was chanting, This land was made for you and me. But in verses that are often omitted from performances of the song, Guthrie focuses on the dark side of the dream. As I went walking, I saw a sign there, and on the sign it said, No trespassing. But on the other side, it didn't say nothing. That side was meant for you and me. In the shadow of the sepal, I saw my people. By the relief office, I seen my people. As they stood there hungry, I stood there asking, Is this land made? for you and me. Dylan sums up the shallowness of the concept of the dream with cutting cynicism and barbed wit in the song's brilliant final verses which begin by delivering an amazingly concise account of the life of the average American. Here the rhymes are delivered like rapid machine gun fire. The process of growing up is reduced to get born, keep warm, short pants, romance, followed by learn to dance, get dressed, get blessed, try to be a success. This is followed by a little advice to stay on the straight and narrow. Please her, please him, don't steal, don't lift. Leading into the killer line, 20 years of schooling and they put you on a day shift. Thus the hollowness of the dream is exposed in these brutal couplets. 
but the lines have an even wider relevance. They express the feelings of a generation which was about to launch a mass rebellion against the grey dullness of conformity in a way that resonated with young people across the world. They also expose the contradictions between being brought up in a supposedly liberal education system and having to compete in the rat race of the job market. <clears throat> Many of Dylan's listeners were determined that their lives would be more colourful and adventurous than those who merely found themselves trapped on a day shift. The final lines of the song end in a suitably surreal denouement. In the light of the oppression he faces, the kid is advised to disappear into the subterranean realms of what was soon to become known as the underground. Better jump down a manhole, light yourself a candle, is rhyme with the tongue-in-cheek, don't wear sandals, can't afford the scandals. A reference to the conventional disapproval of the kind of weird clothing that the kid is wearing. The final piece of advice is suitably ambiguous. Dylan sings, don't want to be a bum, better chew gum. In fact, the whole song is being delivered in a truly gum-chewing, laconic American style. Lastly, we are told that the pump don't work because the vanners took the handles, a wonderfully funny and graphic image of urban decay. The kid will not be able to rely on exterior help. He will have to figure out his way through the confusion of his life in the modern world himself. He may succeed or he may fail. At least he will have avoided becoming a mere cog in the production line of modern capitalism. As Michael Gray first pointed out in his original Song and Dance Man, um, 1973, these lines also have a strong resonance with Robert Browning's poem Upper to Villa, Down in the City. Dylan seems to have been particularly effect, um, attracted to Browning, whose poems are often written in the voice of an imaginary persona, a technique Dylan uses frequently. In this case, however, Dylan seems to have borrowed some of Browning's rhymes from the poem. Look, to and go, go the priests, then the monks with the cowls and the sandals, and the penitents dressed in white shirts are holding the yellow candles. One, he carries a flag up straight, and another cross with handles, and the Duke's guard brings up the rear for the better prevention of scandals. Browning's poem is a fairly light-hearted comparison between an Italian city and the countryside. It is remarkable how Dylan has transmuted these distinctively musical rhymes into a song with entirely different subject matter. Subterranean Homesick Blues is also renowned as the progenitor of the modern pop video. The sequence which appears at the beginning of the film Don't Look Back, released in 1967, has become so iconic that it has inspired a multitude of imitators in many different contexts. The clip was filmed in monochrome by director D.A. Pennybaker in a London alleyway behind the Savoy Hotel, which was undergoing building work during Dylan's final acoustic tour of Britain in June 1965. The first shot we get of is of some building materials. Then the camera pulls back and adopts a static position. Allen Ginsberg can be seen in the left-hand corner of the frame chatting to Dylan's compatriot Bob Newworth. Dylan stands impassively, occupying the right side of the frame, making no attempt whatsoever to mime the lyrics. He holds a large pile of white cards, on which are written short, mostly one-word extracts from the lyrics. While the song plays, Dylan throws these cards down. He remains super cool throughout, maintaining his deadpan expression. At first, the words on the card follow the song's rhymes. Basement, medicine, pavement, government... The film follows this pattern for the first minute or so. Then Dylan begins to change some of the words or deliberately misspell them. Success becomes success, S-U-C-K-C-E-S-S. 
parking meters becomes polking meters. P A W K I N G M E T A W S. D A is spelled out as district attorney. Other messages are also interjected. Watch it appears later. Dig yourself. And finally, what? Question mark, question mark. Finally, Dylan merely walks out of shot and Ginsburg and Newworth retreat into the distance. The distinctiveness of the clip lies in its casual, offhand atmosphere, which mirrors Dylan's delivery perfectly. The trick of throwing down the cards is a partial guide for the viewer to the song's scattergun lyrics, but also leads us in other directions. The phrase, dig yourself, is perhaps the best summation of the kind of personal revolution that Dylan is now presenting us. Everything about the song is a cry for personal liberation, but its execution, along with that of the video clip, is executed with a knowing sense of cool that makes it still compelling viewing today. The YouTube video of the song had, by October 2021, attracted over 8 million viewers. Subterranean Homesick Blues is one of Dylan's best-known songs. It was released as a single in March 1965, reaching number 39 in the US Billboard charts and the top 10 in Britain. Since its release as the opening track of 1965's Bringing It All Back Home, it has appeared on numerous Greatest Hits compilations. Yet the song has rarely been a staple of Dylan's live shows. Apart from a brief revival in 2002, the majority of its live performances occurred in the early years of the never-ending tour. It was used as the set opener for all the 1988 shows, and rather less frequently in the immediately succeeding years. By opening with this iconic song, Dylan clearly signalled that the ethos of the early NET, with its small, tight band and shorter set lists, was very much a return to basics. However, Although the performances were always lively and committed, the song does not seem to have been one which Dylan has been able to explore greatly in the live context. In its recorded form, it is just short of two and a half minutes long. In the live shows, it often lasts between four and five minutes, largely because of the instrumental breaks that are added between the third and fourth verses at the end of the song. Though it provides an exciting opening to the early net shows, it is presented as a conventional rock song. Dylan never really captures the freewheeling insouciance of the recording. Given the form of the song, it is also one which is difficult to devise uh, alternative arrangements for. It is also arguably very much a young man song as it deals so specifically with the trials and tribulations of youth. Like all classic Dylan songs, Subterranean has been subjected to many cover versions. Uh, with its powerful dynamics and strong beat, the song is always a handy addition to any rock show, but few cover versions have really added much to the original. Exceptions include the version on Harry Nielsen's 1974 Pussycats, featuring producer John Lennon on backing vocals. The Nielsen-Lennon version adds a dynamic and slightly different beat and impassioned singing. Perhaps the most effective covers, however, are from two rock bands who have integrated elements of rap music into their sound, Hot Red Hot Chili Peppers and Rage Against the Machine. In these versions, the use of rapping brings the lyrics into focus against harsh, uncompromising beats. 
In many ways, the song was ahead of its time in the way the lyrics are structured, although Dylan, ever the music historian, has insisted that it was in fact inspired by scat songs from the 1940s. The song also needs to be performed with a mixture of anger, irony and sheer cool, which a conventional rock presentation does not always do justice to. A very difficult trick to pay off, to to pull off, of course. Despite it being one of Dylan's signature songs, and certainly one of the tracks one would play to a Dylan novice to illustrate the singer's mastery of words and music, it stands alone in his work as uniquely concise and impressively eloquent snapshot of the turbulent period from which it first emerged. Yet its explosion of barbed wit and knowing asides still resonates today. Okay, um, I hope you um, had some had some fun listening to that. Um, I'm Chris Gregory, and um, if you look at my um, blog, which is called um, From the Pen of Chris Gregory, that's at chrisgregory.org, you'll see lots of other writing and podcasts on Bob Dylan and various other subjects. I'm also the author of Determined to Stand, The Reinvention of Bob Dylan, which is a study of Dylan's later work from time out of mine onwards and of the and of the never-ending tour uh, the book's available on my website uh, it's also available on amazon.co.uk and um, as an audio book and uh, and an ebook in various different places around the internet um, you might if you enjoyed this you might want to uh, buy me a coffee which means took me a couple of quid obviously these podcasts take a lot of time and effort to to create and um any any um few pennies you can throw at me would be would be useful so if you look at um buy me a coffee you put in forward slash chris gregoff g-r-e-g-o-f um why it's gregoff i don't know but but it is um so um if you're feeling generous you might you might want to do that um thanks for listening and i'll see you next time bye bye is it rolling bob